0: Chapter 3 Donald Gets Kidnapped Donald had not vanished. Instead, he had simply walked out onto the street and locked himself in the nearest public toilet. These gravity induced panic attacks were awful. Entirely how life had survived on this planet, given the level 4 gravity pressure, he'd never know. After several minutes, he ventured out from his hidey hole and onto the small green outside. Still feeling anxious, he looked around him did three roly-polies, and instantly felt better. He hadn't intended to dash off so quickly, so no wonder the poor girl was somewhat baffled. He was just as clueless about his reasons for being here. It wasn't so much that he disliked being on Earth. Despite the air pressure problems, pollution, rampant violence, and the obsession with the temperature, it was an immensely beautiful place. He longed, however, to explain to someone, anyone at all, that it was all a bit alien to him. This was no place to waste time preying on his thoughts. Donald jolted into action and walked towards what felt like the way back to the tube station. As he approached the heath, he paused and looked up. He was reminded of how remote this place was, with only the moon for company. The moon had bewildered Donald when he first arrived, as he'd never seen anything quite like it. He didn't like the way it just loitered there in the sky at night. He felt like it was watching him. No, he didn't like it one bit. Stupid moon. People of the Earth seemed to feel very passionately about the great lump of shining rock in the sky. Poems, films, and love songs were dedicated to it. Donald was amused to discover vast amounts of resources were dedicated to some great race to get to it. The objective, as far as Donald could gather, was merely to stand on it, take a few pictures, and come back. It was difficult to believe, even if you knew otherwise, that the blanket of stars above the moon held billions of other worlds, races, and faces. He reminded himself how lucky he was to have seen this perspective of the universe. Merely looking up at the stars caused his heart to swell in his chest, and he rejoiced inwardly as pure calm reigned supreme in his body. Suddenly, a dog barked and scared the crap out of him. Damn this place, he thought. As he lolloped on, his great, long, spindly legs stretching ahead of his body, he resolved to go back and see Polly tomorrow and talk to her properly about why he was here. Perhaps this might be a good time to pause our story, grab a cup of tea, and settle down, as we get to know Donald a little more through the medium of the Mentor Tome. What better place to start than with the most useless piece of information, his age. Donald was 84 in Over There Revolutions, 42 in Earth Years. To confuse matters further, his appearance was that of a young man in his late 30s. For those of you not previously acquainted with the Mentor Tome, It is a sort of ovarian guide to becoming an envoy on Earth. Mentor Tome, Earth Edition, Requirement 1 All envoy applicants must be over the age of 50 revolutions. Approximately 2 revolutions per 1 Earth year. Earth years measured as per the Gregorian calendar. Mentor Tome, Earth Edition, Requirement 2 All envoy applicants must appear more youthful than they are. Post the Great Cosmic Revolt, these age and youth requirements had, over time, lost some of their original importance. They were now seen as ageist. Mentor Tome Earth Edition Requirement 3 Not everything in the Mentor Tome should be taken literally. Try to have a sense of proportion and context when reading the Mentor Tome. In case this is unclear, the applicant is urged to consider this. If a unicorn is a figment of the imagination, yet only distinguishable from a horse by its horn, then how can we spot them? Thankfully, the authors had the foresight to include Requirement 3, which conveniently got around the problems in Requirement 2, although the unicorn theory was really confusing and almost unnecessary. Requirement 1, however, was vital. The Mentor Tome states it is crucial to be at least 50 revolutions. Any younger and the envoy could not physically cope with the pressure from the level of gravity surrounding the Earth's atmosphere. Over there's low-gravity environment meant they had never had to deal with problems such as deterioration of muscle and bone density or anxiety and panic attacks. Mentor Tome, Earth Edition, Requirement 4 When adopting an Earth character, deciding on a profession will be of utmost importance, especially in Western countries. The second most-asked human-to-human question is What do you do, based on data collected in the USA and Europe? See Requirements 147 for specific regional variances. Accountancy or low-level finance administration is ideal. Other options include estate agents, advertising, recruitment, tax collectors, and traffic wardens. The primary objective of one's earth character was to blend in and remain indistinguishable. The data concluded that these professions were the least likely to attract interest. The result was no one would talk to you at parties and, in the improbable event that you were invited, it was generally acceptable to have very few friends. Back in the park, in the middle of a mini-meltdown over the dog barking, Donald wrestled with his complex mind as he picked up his pace. He hurried along pokey, dark streets littered with newspapers, signposts, and potholes, while mentally listing the things he had to do in work the next day. There was a 10.30 a.m. meeting that filled him with dread. The worst thing, by far, Donald had encountered on earth, and the thing he disliked more than dogs, panic attacks, and people banging on about the moon, was having to be an accountant. Sadly, it was out of his hands somewhat, as it was a direct requirement from the mentor tome, and Donald was a by-the-book type. He liked process and order. The 10.30 a.m. weekly meeting with his boss was Donald's least favorite, and he was a significant factor for inducing the side effects of level 4 gravity panic. Gary Pootlepool was notoriously difficult to please. In the two years that Donald had worked for him, he had felt it was Gary Pootlepool's sole mission to make his life an utter misery. Donald suspected the main problem was that he was exceptionally talented with numbers, which made him a terrible accountant. He accurately recorded and genuinely balanced the accounts, exposing every backhander and overinflated growth projection. Still, Only another two years and Donald would be free to choose a career of his liking according to the mentor tome. Four years was the probation period on earth and, once completed, he would be fully integrated. He promised himself he'd do something worthwhile, like become a nurse or join a charity. Donald was now beginning to understand why all these humans scurried around like worker ants in a semi-religious fashion day after day. It was a far more comfortable life than having to think about anything meaningful. Eventually, he found himself in front of the tube station. As he boarded the eastbound train back to Earl's Court, he reflected on his previous encounter with Polly. It could have gone a lot better. Replaying their conversation in his head, he allowed his thoughts to wander. Something was pleasing about her, but what it was he couldn't quite put his finger on. Attractions and attachments were primitive on over there, so this wasn't something Donald considered. But she smelt good and reminded him of something a bit like home. One thing he could not work out was why she was so fascinated by the paper the code was written on. What was that about? he pondered. He'd not expected those questions at all. Still, he was pleased she hadn't asked who he was or where Bert was. He wasn't confident with his previously rehearsed answers and was glad he didn't have to use them. A stream of conscious worry rattled through his head. He resolved to go and see her straight after work tomorrow and try to be of more help. Perhaps she could even be his friend. He missed having friends. He'd only known two friends during his Earth life and he hadn't seen either of them for quite some time. Donald, wrapped up in his thoughts, failed to recognize the pattern of activity around him and paid no attention to the well-dressed woman sat opposite him in the carriage. All the connected signs were there, but he'd overlooked them. Had he paid more attention to the woman sat opposite him and the strategically placed suits positioned by the carriage doors, then perhaps he would have changed lines before Earl's court. Maybe he would have made his 10.30 a.m. meeting with Gary Pootlepool and honored his post-work visit to Polly. Indeed, he wouldn't have chosen this precise moment to have a little nap. As his mind started to drift, he became lulled by the soft rattle of a thousand glass bottles bumping into one another, as the old carriages juddered along. His thoughts toppled over one another and started to expand out of shape. Quietly, and without knowing it, he had slipped into another world. The slow shudder of the train increased into a gallop of what could only be described as stampeding horse elephants. He felt a bit sick and couldn't quite work out what he was supposed to be doing. Ahead of him was what looked like a village with tiny huts. There was no way of stopping the stampede, so he just held on to what he thought was the reins, dug in his heels, and prepared to trample all over the little village huts. As he got closer and closer, he was suddenly wrenched back into reality and jolted awake. His eyes seemed to be covered. He was no longer on the tube train, but outside somewhere, with his cuffed hands behind his back. He felt two people on either side dragging him along. He was violently sick as a mixture of dizziness and fear collided together. No one around him said anything. They just kept pulling him towards an unknown space. He became aware of more people around him, not only two at the side. In the distance, he could hear the screeching sound of trains and the pulse of traffic. He couldn't have been asleep for long, but his nose felt sore. He sniffed a couple of times and detected an unidentified chemical smell. Donald's instinct told him not to ask any questions. His best bet was to pretend he'd blacked out. He let his body go limp again and felt the hands either side grip tighter to hoist him along. Donald didn't need to ask questions anyway, as questions were pointless. This ambush was inevitable, and he'd trained for it. What he needed was time to prepare himself. He needed to be mindful and watchful. Fortunately, Donald understood that time was relative to the individual. He carefully moved his mind into kidnap mode. It was all part of his envoy training, and he knew it well. The reality was far more terrifying than the theory. He recalled the mentor tome, skipping directly to the relevant part. Donald skillfully slowed down his breathing, running through the following mantra. One. We are one. We are alone. We are all one. Become everything. Become nothing. He repeated this the required number of times and felt familiar waves of calm envelop him. Now he had achieved calmness, he needed to identify and lock away his mind's secrets and throw away the key. Absorbed in this mental task, another part of his mind practiced watchfulness. He became the observer of his own body. Being blindfolded was useful as it heightened his other senses. He detected five people around him, two in front, two either side, and one behind. It must be dark, as every couple of steps, one of the two men either side of him would stumble as if they couldn't quite see where they were going. The ones holding him were male, perhaps late twenties or early thirties. The slightly stubbly hair on the backs of their hands against his, firm skin, and the faint whiff of body odor gave him the confirmation he needed. He also detected two females with a different smell. Their heavy dairy diet scent made him gag slightly. Reaching their destination, Donald could no longer feel the night breeze. Freshly molded plastic that lingered in newer cars and leather replaced the outside air. Having run through the required protocol with all his secrets safely locked away, he now focused on his final step. With all the strength he could muster to blot out his surroundings, he slipped into a dream-filled sleep. His captors would meet him soon enough.